Trust your Bibles are prepared. We're in the book of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9 this morning, or today. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. And I'll be reading from verse 35 to verse 38. Matthew, chapter 9, and verse 35 to 38. The Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you for the great salvation that we have because of your word. Lord, I pray today that you would use your word in a mighty way to speak to each and every heart. I pray that there's someone here today under the sound of my voice, who does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, may today be the day of their salvation, and that every believer would be challenged to be closer drawn to you. Thank you for the privilege we have to be involved in this great task, this commission, to evangelize this entire world, but that you would bless each and every effort, help us to focus our hearts and minds on what's near and dear to your heart. Take full control. Give me the words you'll have me to say. And may there be a source of strength, of encouragement, of challenge to help us to do what you've called us to do. Take full control. Have your divine way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. You and I, we are living in a busy, busy world. There seems to be more things to do, more places to go, more people to see, more events to attend, more calls to return, more bills to pay, and with all that, less time to do it all in. We are busy people. And I say this because I find myself that if something is indeed of importance and of priority, It is paramount that I plan, I prepare, I prioritize in order to make it happen. In other words, I have to make sure I put it on my calendar. Otherwise, sadly, it might just get crowded out by other things that might not even be as important. I'm not against being busy. As a matter of fact, It's much better to be busy than it is to be lazy. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10 says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So it is indeed important to work. But here's what I'm realizing about busyness. Busyness is not a guarantee of 
productivity. You ever find yourself doing a whole bunch of things and at the end of it all, you're left wondering, what did I really accomplish? You see, my friends, busyness is affected by factors that are outside of one's control. When this pandemic started, everyone could have been as busy as a bee, as we say. But when this pandemic hit, everything came to a screeching halt. No one was busy anymore. I mean, we had time galore to do things that we never did. Time to relax. Time to spend time with the family. Time to cook. Time to eat. I mean, even the great New York City, known as the city that never sleeps during the pandemic, it slept like a baby. Busyness is a temporary state. We even know in our own island and nation, busyness comes and goes. Sometimes work is busy. Other times, it's not so busy. I mean, I'm amazed by some people who go into an office. I mean, and they know, man, they were twiddling their thumbs all day and leave work as if boy, they had a hard day at work. It's not always a hard day at work. Am I right? Yeah, it's up and down. Sometimes it's busy and sometimes it's not. I mean, we are here in a part of the world that, that's affected by tourist season. Sometimes things are busy. Sometimes things are slow. Sometimes you go to the bank and the line is out the door and around the corner, all on the sidewalk. And other times of the month, you go into the bank and there's not a soul in there except the tellers. I heard somebody say Wednesday. Dad, can I share with them what you told me about it's a secret. I was doing some, I was about to do some, having to do some business at the bank. And uh, I thought I was going to be late because I had promised him that I was going to allow him to do it on Friday. And I missed the, my promise of Friday. So I called him Saturday morning and said, Daddy, I'm so sorry. I was supposed to get to you on Friday. And uh, in a day and age where um, people are not keeping their promises, I wanted to make sure I keep my promise. I'm just telling you. <laughs> anyway, I told him that I wanted to make sure that I did it on Friday, but I, um, I, I'm calling you to apologize that I didn't, and uh, it's Saturday. So he said, let me tell you a secret. Don't tell anybody. And here am I preaching about it on Sunday morning. He said, I go to the bank once a week on Wednesday mornings at 10.30. I guess he figured out that's the time when he goes into the bank and there's nobody there. All right, so busyness fluctuates. It goes what? Up and down. Now in our text, Jesus himself was busy, as we'll see. Even as a 12-year-old, he astounded his mother when she found him in the temple. And in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 49, he said unto them, how is it that he sought me? Wist thee not that I must be about my father's business? 
But here's the thing that we must understand about Jesus. While he was busy, Jesus possessed something else that is so important. Particularly when it comes to the work of God, that it, it is so vital to stay involved. Not giving in to external factors and pressures. Not being hot one day and cold the next. And what Jesus possessed, in addition to being busy, Jesus possessed a burden. Now oftentimes, when we use this word burden, it's used in a negative context. In a negative sense, where a burden is seen as an undesirable weight that is being carried that slows you down. Like we often say, take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. In that context, the word burden is seen as a, as a weight, as something you don't want to have, you don't want to carry. But this morning, when I speak of having a burden, I'm speaking of having a passion, of having a burning desire within that drives you, that propels you, that fuels you to accomplish a particular endeavor. You see, my friend, there's a difference between busyness and having a burden. And this morning, I want to preach a message entitled, Are You Busy or Are You Burdened? Now, you can be both. But the thrust is that we not just be content with being busy, but we possess a burden, we possess a passion, a desire that God has given to us that results in us Working for the Lord. Amen. My friend, every believer ought to have a burden. It is what will keep you going when times get tough. It is what will cause you to see beyond the present and to have a vision for the future. As the one you observe with me in our text this morning in verses 35 to 38, notice first of all that Jesus was, jot this down, he was active in ministry. Active in ministry. Notice verse number 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Here was Jesus engaged in doing the, the, the work that he had come to do. And in doing so, he had gone to the crowded areas. And the not so crowded areas. He had gone to the cities and the villages. He had gone to the synagogues. And he had gone to the streets. He had gone to the hillside. He had gone to the seashore. He ministered to people's physical needs. But he also ministered to people's spiritual needs. Wherever people were, he was there. You read this verse and you can see clearly that Jesus was busy. But he was not just busy, but Jesus was working. You see, my friend, the work of God is indeed just that. It is work. Ministering to people requires effort. It requires time. It requires money. It requires resources. 
And in, in being engaged in work, naturally, physically speaking, you will get tired. If you don't get tired, it's quite probable and possible that you simply just were not busy. After our just recently concluded women's conference, I can assure you, people were tired. Amen? I mean, people engaged in work. I mean, people cooked, cleaned, drove, painted, designed, baked, prepared to speak, studied, researched, practiced, they sung, they learned words, they memorized monologues, they planned, they called, they invited. Listen, people did serious work. People were actively involved in what we call ministry. You say, Pastor, why was it ministry? Well, it was ministry because by working, people's hearts and lives were touched. That's ministry. I mean, it's been such a blessing for me as pastor to hear the testimonies of people who had a wonderful time. They had a refreshing time. But more importantly, people were encouraged to keep going, to make changes, to be better, to do better, to think differently about themselves, to grow, to be a better friend, to be a better wife, to be a better mother, to be a better daughter. That's ministry. It's the benefit of working for the Lord. People's needs were ministered to. I mean, they had a cocktail You talk about physical needs being met. One person testified during the conference and said it was like drinking water from a fire hose. Such was the the lavish spread of food. But more importantly, spiritual needs were met. Amen? People made life-impacting, life-changing decisions. Never underestimate when it comes to ministry the power of ministering to somebody's heart. Let it be known that, my friend, when you're involved in the work of God, that your labor is not in vain. It's not in vain. So Jesus was active in ministry. But notice in verse 36, notice secondly, in being actively involved in ministry, he was affected by the multitude. Look at verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes. You see, Jesus here engaging, doing uh, the work that he had come to do, had a change in focus. That verse 36 begins with the word but. There is somewhat of a transition here. There was a change in focus. He, 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 He adjusted his vision and focused on looking at the people. You see, my friends, sometimes, and self admittedly, we can get so task oriented that we lose our sight of people. But the task that we're involved in ought to have a link back to impacting people. You see why? You know why? Because ministry is all about people. 
It's all about impacting people. Uh, and at times, if, we, if we're tending to lose focus, we're t- kind of tending to get bogged down, and we're only looking at what is it that we have to do. Take a look at people. I know oftentimes, and I hear this refrain, and I hear this complaint, that we have a natural tendency as people to isolate and alienate ourselves from people because, and especially when we see people as the source of hurt. When we see people as the source of pain, we tend to recoil and you say, we say, you know what? I, I, I don't want to have anything to do with people. Why? It's a source of a bad memory. A bad experience. But my friend, to be truly blessed, we must be willing to use our life to be a blessing to people. That is where true fulfillment and joy comes from. And when it comes to the mission of evangelizing the world, this great mandate that we have been given by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel, he has mandated that we preach this gospel to people. So we can't get away from being involved in the lives of people. Jesus saw the people. There was a change in focus. And when he looked at the people, notice the compassion he felt. The Bible says in verse 36, when he saw the multitude, he was what? Moved with compassion. What he saw affected his heart. My friend, compassion begins with concern. When I look at these videos of missionaries on the field and their desire to impact lives, it ought to concern us that people are dying without Jesus Christ. You can't have compassion until you first have concern. And that concern causes you to care. The problem that exists now becomes one that you own. And then that care produces compassion. Compassion says, well, what can I do about it? When you look at a lost and dying world, people, wherever they are, whether across the street, whether around the corner, whether in another island, whether in another region, does it touch your heart? Are you concerned? Do you care? Do you have a compassion for people who need a savior such that you're willing to do something about it? My friend, it is a tragedy for any person to die and find themselves separated from God for all eternity. Jesus looked at the multitude and had compassion on them. They had a number of problems. Jesus saw that, first of all, they were woefully sick. 
It says, they fainted. In the context here, it might mean that they were fainting physically from the heat of the sun. But my friend, uh, there's an application that people are not only fainting physically, but they're fainting mentally. They're fainting emotionally. They're fainting spiritually. You look around at our world, you realize that people are finding it difficult to cope with the pressures of life. And the result is to give up, to pass out, as we would say, to succumb to the unbearable circumstances. I mean, we are seeing and hearing of deep depression and suicides. It's evident, my friend, that people are fainting. Do we have the compassion in our hearts for people who are fainting? They were woefully sick, but notice they were widely scattered. Jesus says, that, the Bible says, they, they fainted and were scattered abroad. I mean, it's, it's ironic to me that we are living in a world where with all of the technology, technological advancements and the devices to connect us together, people and families seem more disconnected than ever. This disconnect has led to a scattering. The disconnects between spouses. Disconnects between family members. Disconnects between church members. Disconnects between social groups, political groups, nations, races, you name it. It's no wonder we're so scattered. The reasons for division seems to abound. We ought to be moved with compassion when we see the cause and the effects of division. It ought to break our hearts to see marriages and homes and churches and nations being torn apart. My friend, it's never a time for celebration when we see the division that is tearing people apart. Jesus said they were, the Bible says they were scattered abroad. They were widely scattered. They were woefully sick, but notice they were without a shepherd. He says, as sheep having no shepherd. They had no proper leadership in their lives. My friend, the lack of leadership results in people going astray. The absence of proper parental leadership in the home leads to children who are unruly and led astray by negative influences. The lack of godly leadership in any church leads to chaos, confusion, and an inability to follow a unified purpose. The lack of proper leadership causes a nation to go astray. God intended for leadership that aligns with his word to govern the institutions of the home, the church, and the nations of the world. But as we look at the problems of our world, we ought to be moved with compassion to do something about it. 
Jesus was affected as he saw the multitude. But notice in verse 37, there was an acknowledgement regarding the mission. As Jesus looked at the multitude and his heart was touched, he was moved with compassion. Notice his acknowledgement in verse number 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Here's what Jesus assessed. He says, when I look at this multitude, when I look at the multiplicity of problems that they have, he made a conclusion that there is much work to be done. He says, the harvest truly is plenteous. My friend, the word harvest is a word that speaks to opportunity. It speaks to potential for success. It speaks to a chance to prosper. Now, can you imagine a farmer planting an entire field of bananas? And I understand reliably that bananas take one year. Am I correct? Yes, I'm correct. So imagine a farmer has planted an entire field of bananas and he has tilled, he's watered, nurtured, and invested much into this crop. And then finally, that long-anticipated day of bearing comes around. I mean, there are these bananas, they are uh, in bunches, they are in abundance. I can only imagine that that farmer would be very pleased, very happy, excited. My harvest is plenteous. There are bananas galore. I mean, we would say that's a good problem to have. It's surely better than having no bananas where the trees died or just didn't bear fruit. You see, my friend, the task at hand is major in magnitude and wide in scope. There are many people to reach, many problems to address, but isn't this a good problem to have? When we look at our world and we look at people without Christ, we are to see each person as a potential servant for the Lord. People who could be used mightily by God. People who could be blessed by seeing God's will done in their lives. People who could be a blessing to others. Fathers and mothers who could impact their children for the Lord. Teachers who could impact their students by being a positive example. A young person who might be a natural leader, who might hitherto uh, prior had been leading other people astray, now can use their power of influence to lead their peers in a positive direction. That's the potential of this harvest. But imagine the harsh reality of Jesus' acknowledgement. With such a wonderful opportunity uh, of much great potential, he says, there's much work, but there are minimal workers. He says, the laborers are few. There are limited people available to reach the harvest. Imagine the despair on a farmer's face and in his heart to see his entire harvest 
of bananas without the ability to reap what is existing. It is said that in the average church, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. There's a harsh reality facing many churches today that their church is looking for pastors with no one available to fill their pulpit. And this has gone on for years. Sad reality is that the harvest is waiting to be harvested. Jesus made this stark realization or statement, of course he knew, but he was pointing this out to his disciples. It was an acknowledgement regarding this great work. But notice finally with me, in verse 38, he gave what I want to call the appropriate mindset. As we look at this great task that seems like it's beyond our capacity, here you have an equation where it's more work than seemingly can be handled by the available workers. Look at what Jesus said the response ought to be in verse 38. He says, Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. This mindset is twofold. First of all, Jesus is saying to appeal to the sovereign. Well, that seems like a great idea. Here you have the Lord of the harvest, the husbandman, the farmer, the one who has invested a vested interest in the harvest. Can you imagine a farmer seeing his field going to waste with all of the fruit? Who would have the greatest desire to see that harvest reaped? The farmer. Jesus is saying, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He must have a desire to see something done about it. But how often do our prayers involve praying that God will send individuals to reap the harvest? He says to appeal to the Lord of the harvest. But notice the second aspect of this mindset is that in praying that there has to be availability for service. He says that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And here's one thing that's so interesting about this prayer. That if an individual is praying to God to send laborers into the harvest, guess what inevitably begins to happen? That individual begins to look inward and say, God, what can I do? You see, Jesus knew that by praying 
about something, that individual becomes invested. That individual acquires a burden to see the task accomplish. So this is not just a prayer that says, God, uh, uh, send somebody else. While that might be desirable. God, we need more people. God, can you send somebody to Ukraine? God, can you send somebody to Australia? God, can you send somebody to Trinidad? God, can you send somebody to Chicago? Then becomes God. Will you send me? Is there something that I can do? Even if I can't go, can I give? What can I do? There's a mindset that says, God, if it be your will, send me. God, if it be your will, there is something that I can do to help this harvest to be reaped. Jesus had a burden. And my friend, when God gives you a burden, a passion, a desire, it is not impacted by circumstances. It is not impacted by the season. Even when I'm hurt, that burden doesn't go away. That burden keeps me fueled. That burden keeps me going. That burden keeps me on the path in spite of criticism, in spite of disappointment, in spite of even failure. That burden, the apostle Paul says, listen, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. You can't quench it with criticism. You can't even quench it with failure. Why? Because it's placed there by a burning desire to do the will of Almighty God. It's not a bad thing to be busy about the master's business. But let it be that we are propelled, that we are motivated, that we are fueled by God giving us a burden, a desire a passion to see people one with the gospel. Not so that we can add them to our trophy case, but that they can be rescued from the devastation of an eternity without Christ. We have a mandate, we have a mission to reach a lost and dying world. And let it be that we are busy about the master's business. But let it be that that busyness is because our passion, our burden, which has been fueled by Almighty God, is strong. And even as we see the day approaching, we recognize that time is short. Are you just busy? Or is your busyness the result of a genuine burden for the lost?